<laughs> oh my. We're live, Ray. I know. What do we do? Uh, yeah. Oh, anyway, anyways, NASDAQ's like 20,000. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Long century. You're cracking. Sorry. I'm cracking. All right. We'll do this. We'll get the back. Uh, let me fix this. Sorry, everyone. Everybody. We've got some technical issues. But I can start. Okay. You're good now. NASDAQ 20,000. That's what we're talking about today. Um, just kidding. Anyways, I want to do a quick uh, introduction. I'll be doing reverse order. We're going to ask you where you're calling in from and what you are talking about today. So, John, what are we talking about today? Uh, we're going to disrupt Disrupt TV with an intense enterprise metaverse discussion. Right. Enterprise metaverse. I know nothing about it. You're going to educate us. Casey, what are we talking about today? Hey, Ray, we're going to be talking about what's next for public sector, especially as it pertains to talent and the competition for uh, for the next generation of employees. Very cool. Where are we calling in from? Outside of Dallas. Woohoo! All right. Um, and Anil, what's going on with you? Where are you calling from? What are we talking about? I'm calling from Atlanta, from Cognizant, and uh, we'll be talking about the exciting stuff that's going on, like the metaverse, and what does it mean for enterprise CIOs and uh, all the all the people who are out there servicing those enterprise CIOs. Very, very cool. Well, hey, we'll turn it back to you, L. We'll get this thing started. All right. Three, two, one. joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Bala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, our distinguished guests, your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV, and we'll do our best to answer them in the next hour. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's a business technology news contributor on Fox Business News, Yahoo Finance, CNBC, and Wall Street Journal. He's a global sought-after keynote speaker, and in my humble opinion, one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWAG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Hey, everybody. Thanks. And I'm here with my awesome co-host, Bala Afshar, the Chief Digital Evangelist for Salesforce. He's also the author of The Pursuit of Social Business Excellence, and executives around the world pay attention to every one of his inspirational and insightful tweets. But when he's not hosting, keynoting, or leading events at Salesforce, you can find him speaking on business TV outlets such as Bloomberg and, of course, posting insightful analyses on ZDNet. But it's not about us. It's always about our amazing guests. And who do we have to kick it off today? It's a pleasure for us to have Anil Cherian, Executive Vice President of Strategy and Technology at Cognizant. Overseeing all aspects of corporate strategy, global IT, and global security, Anil is responsible for Cognizant strategy, alliances, and business development and for strengthening the company's global IT and security capabilities. Prior to joining Cognizant in August of 2020, Anil served as the U.S. presidential appointee in charge of technology transformation services with a mission to improve people's lives through technology. Prior to his government role, Anil launched Phase 4 Ventures, a consulting advisory firm advising banks, technology firms, and late-stage growth startups. In fact, Anil is an active leader in business and technology communities. He serves on the advisory board of several late-stage growth startups and is an advisory partner to Insight Venture Partners and FTV Capital. Welcome, Anil, to the Shrub TV. Hey, happy to be here, Bala. And good to see you again, Ray. <laughs> hey, we're really excited to have you, and you're one of our BT150 alum. Um, as you know, the BT150 is our top business transformation leaders. Um, we recognized you there when you were at SunTrust as well, and a lot of the other areas uh, where you've been pioneering this. There's a lot going on, right? Now you're on the other side of the table. You get to see what other companies are doing, uh, especially in this exciting era post-pandemic of what enterprise digital transformation is going to look like. 
what's important? What is it going to look like? And how will you define that over the next three to five years? Uh, it's really exciting. You know, the whole uh, COVID, unfortunately, you know, COVID had a lot of bad effects on a lot of us. And, you know, the latest news of you know, 15 million people uh, passing away due to COVID, all of that's true. But frankly, it just for people like myself, it really drove and accelerated this whole thing that people call digital transformation. And uh, it's been it's been an ongoing thing. So now as we start coming out of COVID, the question is, okay, so what's going on? What's gonna to happen to this digital transformation journey that everybody's been on? So uh, my whole belief is that that's that we've got to a momentum now that we're just gonna keep on rolling. It's just gonna keep going. Uh, it's almost unstoppable. Uh, and and uh, you know all, all the clients that we see are continuing to drive you know, a huge amount of their budgets and investments in terms of digital transformation. The other piece has been, you know, this whole ESG concept of your know, enterprise mm. social and governance. ESG is also going to force companies to rethink how they interact with their clients, with their customers. And everything is going to become much more digital as people start you know, traveling less. You know, you look at the retail, you know, people are buying online a lot more. You look at healthcare, you know, people are dealing with uh, telemedicine. Uh, all those areas is just going to continue as people start saying, hey, you know, I don't want to burn that carbon anymore. I don't want to travel all that much anymore. Collaboration tools, all of that. So digital transformation is going to keep on rolling at that point. The only thing that I worry about sometimes is, the geopolitical environment that we're in right now. You know, this whole growing nationalism, uh, reduction in globalization, what's going on in Ukraine, the Fed worrying about inflation and maybe overreacting, your know, potential recession. So we keep, when we're looking at it from a cognizant perspective, we're keeping an eye on this growing demand for us in terms of dig digital transformation. But hey, is, is there gonna be a recession? Where is it going to be? Is it going to be in Europe? Is it, you know, how's it going to affect China? How's it going to affect um, uh, the US? Which industries are going to be affected? So that's my only caveat to all of this speed and speed of transformation that's that's happening. Those are important, big, big uh, macroeconomic uh, topics or areas of concern that you mentioned. But Neil, you have the great privilege to collaborate with some of the best and brightest CIOs running the most successful, fastest growing companies in the world. What are these CIOs excited about when it comes to technology? Now, of course, what you mentioned in terms of inflation, war, health crisis, climate crisis, I'm sure all of them have these concerns or which is driving the sense of urgency to, to add value to their stakeholders as much as possible. But are there technologies that are common to the collaboration efforts that you have with these CIOs that you can share with us? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's one of the things that we've seen, uh, you know, as, as you know, I run this strategy for a firm and, and you know, we've, we said digital and digital battlegrounds are the areas that we need to focus on because that's what we're seeing our clients deal with. And those are all the traditional ones, you know, movement to the cloud, um, AI and data, uh, digital engineering in terms of doing things in a lot more agile fashion, just in terms of building solutions and IoT. You know, those are really our big four digital bat battleground areas that we want to focus on. But all of those areas are now beginning to evolve, right? As we start getting better in all of our systems in terms of uh, visual recognition tools, augmented reality tools, you know, better looking at data. So this whole idea of the metaverse I know it's a it's a thing right now. Everybody's talking about it, but it is really becoming a real thing. It's really you know we're seeing a lot of our clients now beginning to ask us the question. Okay, so what's going on with the metaverse? You know, what's going on at Web 3.0? What are you guys doing? Uh, so so there's a there's a lot of industries that are now beginning to think about. Uh, is this natural evolution of AI tools? Is this natural evolution of all of what we just talked about the next stage? You know, people talk about digital twins. People talk about, you know, the use of, uh, you know, uh, 3D printing, the use of wearables, you know, the whole thing. I mean, it is just now naturally evolving in such a great way that uh, all of the CIOs that I know of, at least the ones that are focused on really driving business value, are beginning to start thinking about in this Horizon 3, 
where is this is this hype is this real what's really going to happen and and, and how can we make sure that we're part of the solution there and, and they're allocating budget or resources when it comes to the metaverse set you know projects and use cases or it's more a radar item and research yeah point. i think it's i think it's early stages you know when you think about it uh, um in the early stages of blockchain um mm-hmm. you know there's uh and blockchain is probably not the best example because i'm not sure it's taken off to the to the speed at which we we expect it to but it's in the early stages so no one's got like a a metaverse budget it's more let's dabble in this area based on what we're doing you know so for example in the retail space you know what are we doing with wearables what are we doing with allowing our customers to actually try on our our clothes without having cut to come into the uh, to come into the uh, uh, the shop the, the, the wow. retail outlet those are the kinds of it's dabbling a little bit it's kind of playing around with it it's not a metaverse budget but it's really a let's kind of play around with these to really see what's available and what's possible so that we don't miss the boat there you know related to that one of the big things is the uh, talent crunch that everybody's seeing at the moment as well i mean how are you guys managing that i mean like i want a web 3.0 full stack developer oh what does that mean you know i need someone in pytorch uh, you know because we're moving from tensor to pytorch hey what's going on here with you know ai can you do something that can build an ml model for me i mean all these questions are being asked and you know clients around the world are turning to their service providers to be able to find that talent how do you do it right that's a hard thing right now that is that is the, probably the biggest war that's going on right now. You, know, you talked about, and I hate using these terms, the great resignation and all of that. But there's a, you know, COVID has made people realize that they, especially the heads down versus heads up uh, employees, has made people realize, hey, you can work from anywhere, you can work in any company, and and a lot of there's a lot of need for this talent. So there's a lot of movement going on with with the talent base. We've actively been driving up our our um our uh, recruiting engines to re and our networks out there to really connect with what's going on in the marketplace and we really start hiring in people we've hired over 50 60 thousand people in the last year we'll continue to hire in that way wow. on on well, people in the last year that's wow. that's our that's our that's our rate of wow. growth and we've wow. been you know we were you know, now 350,000 people and amazing. we're going to continue to grow. Thank but that's, you. it's not Thank just you. about the that's people. Amazing. It's also now what we, you know, what is near and dear to my heart is partnerships, right? Mm-hmm. And partnerships with the sales force. You know, sales force is a big partner of ours. All the big hyperscalers, you, know, you name it, AWS, uh, Google, Amazon. Uh, we're now partnering with them because they need us, people like ourselves, just like we need that. And there's a little bit of a coexistence model here in terms of how do we service our clients with joint platforms, with joint uh, solutions. And I think that's, you know, it's not always necessary for us to have all the, you know, we don't need to have the, the uh, Kubernetes guys, but we need to have the industry talent to really orchestrate all those Kubernetes guys, right? If you see what I'm trying to say, that's, that's, there's a, there's a, there's the right talent in the right places that, we, that we're focused on. I love your role in terms of leading strategy and technology and how those two are coupled. I mean, I can't imagine a company in a today's, you know, highly decentralized digital first economy not having a strategy that leans into technology. But can you talk to us about the actually I feel sympathetic, the awesome responsibility you have of leading both strategy and technology and why that's so powerful for Cognizant because frankly, every business leaders need to have those two pillars in mind as they define how they bring value to the market. Yeah, this is this is the this is the reason why I'm so excited about my job, and this is why I joined Cognizant. It's really you know long a long history I had in consulting as well as being a buyer of consulting and and a technologist at heart. You know, I think we're a technology company. I mean, we're fundamentally a technology company. So if you think about our strategy in terms of which market should we be in, which what's our portfolio services going to be around, who should we partner with? Guess what that's all about? That's all about technology. And so our understanding of technology as the CTO of the organization, I play a key role in helping define 
what is our strategy? What should we be focused on? What should we invest in? Which are the areas? Who should we be buying in terms of an M&A perspective? Mm-hmm. Those are all the, the conversations that we that I get involved in across the business. So it's a, so it's a natural. The other piece of it is. I also run the internal IT and security. So, you know, came in. Drinking your own champagne. I, I got to drink my own champagne. It's wow, they here. got two for they got a two for out of you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's that's the fun part of the job as well. You know, so we can be the client, what we call client zero, right? So we have yeah. um, we do a, a project on Salesforce, for example, or Workday. Yeah, what better thing that for us to be saying? Look, we've implemented this tool for 350,000 people. Wow. We can help you do that as well, right? So we're, you're, we're, we're client zero on, on Workday, we're client zero on Salesforce, on Azure, on GCP, you know, all of those things that we, you know, obviously we pick and choose based on the architecture that we're headed towards. Sure. But we can, we can certainly leverage the internal piece as well as the partnerships, as well as the go-to-market side. So you so, sound like you're having a lot of fun. Uh, it is so, a lot of fun. It's a lot. It's, <laughs> that's, that's never, funny. never a dull moment. Is all. No, at your scale, at the clientele you have, I'm not really sure how much sleep you get uh, per day. But yeah, that's a pretty important role, and it sounds like you're having a a blast doing it. So congratulations to you. Go ahead, Ray. Yeah, I was gonna say, hey, let's look out three to five years and 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 see what you think is gonna be that future. Like, what are the big priorities? I mean, um, especially when you think about like how you guys scale up, um, and more importantly, what clients? What do you think clients are gonna be asking you for? Like, hey, you know, do you have like a thousand Unity developers? Or I mean, like, I, I'm curious, <laughs> right? Like, you know, uh, you know, my DAO's not working. Can you run it for me? I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, right? You know, like, what's hard? Yes. Hey, my my AI is on the spritz. You know. Uh, will you help me insert a human in the process? I'm, I'm kind of curious about this thing. Yeah, right? so, no, it's a, so just think about us, right? We've been big in the run space where we can mm-hmm. help our clients just operate, operate their systems, operate their applications. Sure. We're huge in the build space and we're, we're getting involved in the upfront strategy and consulting. I don't think that is being a big piece, but our, our piece is really it is really about the engineering aspects of it yeah. and how does that tie together. But all of it, when you go back to the client, it's about which industry are they in? What is the value that we can be bringing? Mm-hmm. What is the real industry solution that we can be creating, right? So it's what are the problems we're trying to solve for our clients? That's where we want to be known as. That's where our focus is. We're very deep in financial services. We're very deep in healthcare. Our communications and media and technology space has been growing significantly. Our manufacturing, especially with IoT, we're doing some really interesting stuff with car to cloud. I mean, the whole IoT wow. space around that is just growing phenomenally. Lots of investments that we're making there. So it's, that's the exciting part, right? It's about, and that's what gets me all, that's what makes me wake up in the morning is, how do I solve a client's real problem? It's not so much about, hey, you know, I can I can put in a I can put in this tool for you. That's great. Yeah, you know, I can or I can fix that tool for you. That's great too. But the real value is how do I solve your issues in terms of you serving your clients, in terms of you becoming more mm-hmm. digitally agile, et cetera, et cetera. That's where we want to focus on. And and who do we partner with to make that happen? Right? Who are all the, this ecosystem of partners? Uh, because I believe the um, the world is, you know, the hyperscalers are growing. Yeah. Uh, you know, people like Salesforce and and ServiceNow and so on are growing in in size, and yeah. and so they're all going to need people like ourselves to help with the industry solutioning and the packaging of all of those solutions. So terrific, uh, terrific advice. Uh, um, uh, my last question to you, Anil, and just reflecting on your own incredible career. And I know you work with like senior, successful, award-winning CIOs. But if you were in front of a first-time CIO, again reflecting on your own success, what, what what advice would you give to a first-time CIO in terms of how they can create value at the speed of need, like you mentioned in your last answer? How do they how do they stay relevant and really help the company be successful? Yeah, what what I've always told a lot of my my people, my my the people who used to work for me, and uh, you know. Two of them are now CIOs. One is the CIO of Truist. One has just become CIO of Regions Bank. And so I've got this network now of people who have worked for me who have now grown into these different roles. What I've always told them is, hey, 
you should put yourself in the business that you're in. If you're in the banking business, when's the last time you went to a branch? When's the last time you went to a client meeting? Yeah. First Do you principles. really understand how you are fulfilling what your clients need? Because if you don't understand that, you can be the best technologist in the world, but you're not relevant. You're not relevant to the business unless you really. So people, CIOs all get together and say, we need to have a seat at the table. You know, we need to be. Well, guess what, guys? <laughs> you're not going to have a seat at the table if you don't know the business. And you got to know the business, and then you can have a really good conversation in terms of anything that you're dealing with from a technology perspective. Terrific advice. Yeah, and Neil, real quick, would you nominate those two folks to the BT150? They sound like they're BT. He's, he's always he's always selling, Rick. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I love. That's why I love Rick. They but sound yeah, like they're BT150 worthy. And then, real quick, you know, I don't know if uh, our next guest was your uh, was 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 your account person at Salesforce when you're in the government. <laughs> she was. She was. What would you tell had, her if she's she got a long history? No, she's got a long history in the government space. So I didn't yes. get a chance to catch up with her in your green room here, but she's got a long history. So it's, uh, stick around. Yeah. We'll be back there in the green room. We are here with Anil Churian, Executive Vice President, Strategy and Technology at Cognizant, and you can follow him at Churian Anil and follow Cognizant. Cognizant at Cognizant. So, hey, thanks for being on the show. We'll see you in the green room. Thank you, Neil. Cheers. Great advice to first-time CIOs. And uh, it's our honor and privilege to have Casey Coleman, Senior Vice President of Global Digital Transformation at Salesforce, where she's responsible for enterprise positioning and solution strategies for government customers worldwide. Before joining Salesforce, Casey served as Chief Information Officer at U.S. General Services Administration. At the GSA, Casey led several modernization initiatives, including the first agency-wide move to the cloud-based email and collaboration platforms. Casey chaired the Federal CIO Council Cloud First Committee and developed the FedRAMP standard for cloud cybersecurity. Casey holds several honors and awards for various organizations, including Computer World Premier 100 Award and MIT Sloan CIO Symposium Award for Leadership in Innovation. Casey is also a four-time winner of Federal Computer Week Federal 100 Award. You can follow Casey on Twitter at Casey Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N. Welcome, Casey, to Disrupt TV. Thank you. It's great to see you both again. <laughs> great to see you as well. Thank you. I know. And another BT150 alum. I love it. Because they're only the best on our show. There you um, go. So, but this is, I mean, look. I mean, we, it's so exciting to have you here. We're seeing so much innovation in the public sector, especially yeah. given what happened over the last two years. Um, and it's around the world. It's not just in some countries, right? I mean, and so where do you see these global trends? What's happening? Like, you know, what are people asking government leaders for? And of course, what does that mean for the CIOs in the government? Yeah, you're exactly right. And I'm so glad to follow after my uh, fellow alum, Anil, because everything he said applies to the public sector. It's digital first, it's bringing commercial quality tools to the workplace. It's competing for talent on a level playing field with the private sector. And everyone's expectations have been raised by the experiences we've gone through, not only the pandemic, but also how our lives are being reshaped by digital services. We bring those expectations to what we, what we want and need both as public sector employees and as uh, citizens and constituents and customers of government. So yeah, the the the, the bar is going up. Yeah, and the the bar is going up. And as I think we've witnessed over the last two years, um, in just not just in technology space, but just society as a whole, there's been a trust deficit that yeah. exists. Uh, obviously, the the health, climate, uh, economic, all of these crises uh, coexist, created this deficit. According to latest Pew uh, Research Center, public trust in government is at a historic low. Oh my. And only a quarter of people trust that the government will do the right thing most of the time. So how do government agencies uh, work towards overcoming this trust deficit and rebuild trust with their constituents? Public trust really is at the heart of what government is in business to do. It's not about growing market share. It's not about customer loyalty. It's about trust and fulfilling a mission. And you're right. Trust is at historic lows and it's a complicated situation. But one thing we do know is that a great customer experience builds trust it, just by Absolutely. an overwhelmingly positive Absolutely. margin. So you just have to really start with first principles and 
think of those you serve as customers. And we've seen the Biden administration make this a priority with the recent uh, issuance of the executive order on transforming federal customer service and the uh, designation of high impact service providers, which are the agencies that have the biggest public service mission. So the government is thinking about those they serve differently now. And, and I think that is a huge shift that is we're, we're gonna see play out over the next several years. And in your thoughts in terms of role of technology to establish that trust, how, how much do agencies need to, of course, have the right culture, the right talent, the right processes, but can you really meet the ever-growing demand of personalization, scale, speed, without leaning into technology? No, no. It, it, it is, it is, you've got to have a platform. You've got to have an agile dev process. You've got to have a a center of excellence where you are uh, running a backlog and delivering capabilities in days or weeks, not months or years. And you, you cannot do that with the legacy environment that most agencies still put most of their budget into. So we've seen so much innovation, though. Uh, for example, at the Department of Veterans Affairs, they um, homelessness, preventing veteran homelessness is one of their top priorities. They've deployed uh, an app called Squares. And what this does for the very first time is connect the VA with all of the nonprofits who provide housing and homeless shelter services. Wow. So for the first time, when someone shows up to, uh, to get housing services or assistance, they can check their status and they can know what benefits and, and aid they're eligible for. And being able to connect that nonprofit sector with the government sector in a way that's personal and that's uh, respectful of the people they're serving and, and provides a point of service at, at the point of need uh, is an amazing example of, of new technology that is doing things they couldn't do before. This has been a, something they've been seeking to accomplish for decades and now they're doing it. I it is really instance. innovative. I mean, using data to end veteran homelessness. I think that's I what, that what they were trying to do. I mean, some very, very cool things that are happening there. But where are you finding talent, right? This is my question I asked um, our other guest earlier. I mean, where yeah. are we finding talent? I mean, it's, it's a big area where, I mean, everyone's leaving. Everyone's going to something else. Um, you know, private sector pay is higher than public sector pay. Like, what are people doing to, to find that talent and especially, you know, help organizations figure out how to make that modernization? This is a, it's a challenge for the public sector and it's, a, it's the Salesforce ecosystem is growing. So we're also thinking from a corporate perspective about how we create that pipeline and trying to think about it in non-traditional ways like uh, here at Salesforce, we do a lot with veterans and veteran spouses to invest in their ability to get into the STEM economy uh, and, and be certified to be in the, in the Salesforce world. Um, and in, in the government, I think they've got an advantage because public sector and public service provides the opportunity to give back and serve and make a difference on a scale that you cannot achieve anywhere else. And I really think that the move to digital work and distributed work is going to play to the benefit of the public sector because they can start to compete for talent nationwide and not have to be clustering all of their talent and all of their opportunity in highly concentrated markets that are already a talent hub like DC and national capitals. I really think that the ability to start to source nas nationally and federalize that talent market is gonna make a big impact. So I don't have to live in the DMV and I can work for the federal government. Look at that, <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, what an innovation. What yeah, I'm working from the from an area outside of Dallas today. But That's pretty DMV awesome. All the time, but I'm all over the place. Speaking of like Texas, I was in Austin last week. My God, Texas is booming with talent and technology Crazy. talent. It's just, it's, it's, I mean, Austin, I was, it's just, it's not recognizable. It's, it's, it's yeah. so many buildings and, and, and more traffic, but the food's still delicious oh, and the music is cool. The music. Uh -huh. And the music is cool. So you uh, were an award-winning, incredibly successful CIO, and now you have the privilege of advising and partnering with incredible CIOs in the government space. When you're talking to these men and women who are responsible for transforming agencies, what are some of the big challenges that they have that's preventing them or, or creating perhaps unnecessary friction in terms of their acceleration to, to digitally transform, putting talent aside? Because mm -hmm. as Ray mentioned, talent obviously, I think is challenge for all CIOs that I speak to. But besides talent, are there other you know, obstacles that, that these uh, incredible trailblazers need to overcome in order to 
transform their agencies? Well, change management is, is yeah. the perennial challenge for the government. They're very risk averse and for a good reason. They are providing critical services that everyone counts on. So they, they can't drop the ball. They can't make big pivots. But what modern technology lets them do, and here's where I think change management can, can come alongside, is to start small with a, a proof of concept or an, a minimum viable product, an MVP. Prove a concept. That's what the VA did. And, and move quickly to scale it because you can do that. And so not trying, not thinking of the problem as this insurmountable challenge you have to solve completely on the first go, but thinking of it in very small pieces that you can very, very rapidly iterate and scale. Uh, and we've, we've seen that throughout COVID. For example, um, in New Mexico, they were hit with a 600% increase in unemployment claims. At the, at the time, all of the caseworkers had gone home and didn't have access to their call center. Wow. Everyone was out of work and needed wow. unemployment benefits. And so we, we were able to work with them to stand up a virtual contact center and, and bought some automation to help take off the front line of inquiries. And they were, it, that all didn't happen overnight, but it did happen over days and weeks and months. And they were able to work that backlog down and get over a billion dollars of benefits into the economy in wow. a really short amount of time. And so just taking that very rapid incremental approach and thinking about change management as a continuous thing, not a once and done, I think is, is huge. I can tell you're in the field a lot. Look at these amazing use cases you're sharing with us. Wow. So you're, you're you know, shoulder to shoulder with these CIOs, helping them to, uh, you know, transform their agencies. I love the, I love the use cases. So yeah. thank you for sharing it with us. Thank you. Scott, go ahead, Ray. Yeah, no, and I think this is really important. I mean, as you know, especially in the public sector, as people relying on you know government agencies for you know for that help. Um, I mean, you know, and, and as you're looking at you know culture and change and transformation, I mean, we're also seeing a lot of innovation as well in the public sector. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, what are you seeing? What innovations are taking off? You mentioned chatbots, right? Yeah. Virtual agents. I think that, that was important, especially uh, for the Department of Workforce in New Mexico. Um, but but what else do you see these kind of innovations kind of take off like and that are easy to consume, um, easy for people to kind of get get in hold, get in place and, and really to start doing some you know really useful insights and uh, decision collection? Well, I'm really excited about Salesforce and Slack coming together because of the digital mm -hmm. headquarters that that brings to our customers, the ability to to, to really work from anywhere and manage your business digitally. So I think collaboration and connections and and not only collaboration but but working in a much more connected manner is is huge. I also think that um, I was at an aerospace conference last week and was really struck by some technology that is enabling remote work for operational technology. So think about mm -hmm. um, maintaining vehicles or aircraft and the ability to do that through robotics and virtual field technology. And this is, I think, where the metaverse starts to become a little more real so that you can start to uh, get much higher productivity. These, I mean, this is not just about technology for its own sake, but boosting productivity, taking advantage of talent wherever it is, and being able to have a much more uh, rapid cycle time to fulfill the mission and deliver these capital assets back into the field. I love that. Uh, so Casey, we have lots of uh, startup founders that come on Disrupt TV, and we love talking to entrepreneurs and, and, and startup founders. When you are you know, leading technology transformation at GSA as a CIO, what did you look for when a startup was in front of you pitching their capability in technology, knowing that you have security, scalability, critical missions that you have to uh, you know, deliver against? How does a startup uh, gain uh, enough trust with you or, or the folks that you now advise so that they have a shot of getting their solution in, in an agency's tech stack? Well, I was really in total agreement with what Anil said a minute ago about get into the business and understand the business that you're trying to help yeah. support. Yeah. And so I'd say that's true for, for any startup vendor too. understand the challenges your customer faces. I would, um, I meet with startups all the time, and, and uh, the ones that impressed me were the ones that weren't trying to come in and pitch a product, but empathize with the challenges that we were facing and the, the big challenges we're trying to address. And 
be a partner and, and not just a vendor, not just a supplier, but someone who really is alongside of you for the long run. I think that's a that's a perennial and it applies to the public sector in particular, because as we said a minute ago, trust is everything. Uh, hugely important advice. Yeah, do your homework, learn the business. Absolutely, makes sense. Yeah, no, you really have to start there. And, and when you look at you know some of the great folks that you know, have come up with these innovations, they, I mean, they were there, right? They've, they've been there yeah. and, and they've been actually building against that. Um, let's talk about GovTech startups. That's another hot area. And uh, we're seeing folks jump in. Are there certain categories that people are going after, like certain problems people are solving better? Uh, where do you see the rush or the, or the you know, where, where the money is flowing for the innovation or the interest um, from the federal government? Yeah. You know, DC is a cyber tech hub. There is a yeah. just a wealth of talent in startups and innovation in cyber, in resiliency, in you know, the whole ecosystem of assurance technologies. So that continues to be a lot of interest, a lot of innovation. But the, the big problems remain the big problems. Uh, government spends 70 to 80, maybe more percent of its budget. And this is $110 billion a year. Wow, more. for that's, IT. That's, that's, <laughs> for IT, that's what we know about. Uh, and most of that goes into upkeep of existing systems. So just, just tackling that, decomposing those legacy systems and creating a way to use that data, make sense of it, make decisions, start to put in place some engagement capabilities to meet today's demands and over time start to break those monolithic systems apart and, and, and begin to upgrade them, modernize them, move them to the cloud, make them mobile, uh, create personalization, um, create the, the experience for both the public, for constituents and for employees and give them the tools that they need. These are all kind of related capabilities that are we're going to be working on for a while, but this is this is the work that has to be done. You know what I love about that statement is that we you're you're basically that decompos decomposition basically means we have to look at things differently, right? Yeah. I mean a lot of organizations have a lot of technical debt, but the data has got to be put together from all these different systems. The experiences have to be aggregated. Uh, the engines that actually create that you know capabilities are all over the place and right and and that's not even getting to the analytics and the intelligence on the other mm -hmm. end. So definitely a lot mm -hmm. of opportunities there. Yeah, and you can't wait years while you. You know, yeah. make this big bang effort. You've got to fly the plane and modernize it at the same time. It is so true. Is there a parachute? <laughs> Honestly, Ray, I, I have the privilege of working with so many CIOs. The days of like multi-year projects, yeah. I, I don't even see them anymore. Really, I think the, the I longest waterfall. horizon is multi-quarter. Uh, well, I miss waterfall, man. Waterfall, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, 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 so, so I asked Anil. Uh, my, my final question was, again, because he had an illustrious career as a CIO, and you have been an incredible CIO, and I've had so much success. Again, reflecting on your own career, in terms of having great, perhaps, mentors or sponsors who helped you accelerate your career, or, you know, the mindset of uh, growth mindset of researching and being a lifelong student, our founder at Salesforce reminds us all the time of a beginner's mindset. What advice would you give? to, again, uh, you know, folks that are leading IT transformation, but early in their career, how should they approach life and business to get to the, the levels that you've achieved, incredible levels that you've achieved? Well, I first agree with what Anil said about put yourself in your customer's shoes. But yeah. the other thing I think is important is do routine things routinely. If you are in a technology role, you have to nail the operational piece of it. It is not all about what's next and what's new, that's important. But if you want to be trusted, you want to have a seat at the table, you want to be relevant, you have to pay attention to the operational responsibilities that people have entrusted to you. Again, it's about, it's about trust, but I always said, do routine things routinely, have a playbook, execute on it, and, and don't drop the ball on that. That is so, you know, we, we tend to want to chase the shiny object as technologists, but you have to earn the right. Yeah to be able to experiment and innovate. And without operational excellence, I don't, you can't. Uh, that's so hugely important advice. I totally agree. Go ahead, Ray. No, great. I was just gonna say, hey, it's, it's been great. Thanks thanks so much, Casey. We're here with the one and only Casey Coleman, a practitioner, thought leader, and of course, now at Salesforce, SVP, Global Government Solutions at Salesforce. I know you've been there for a while, uh, but everyone still remembers all your work in the government. Uh, and of course, <laughs> you can follow her at Casey Coleman, and hopefully we'll get a chance to catch up. So, see ya.
Thank you, Thank Casey. You. Cheers. What an extraordinary, like you said, practitioner and thought leader. Um, speaking of extraordinary, you know, every time I introduce <laughs> our, our, our next <laughs> uh, guest, like the Disrupt TV community knows John Reed. He's, he's a first ballot Hall of Fame, Disrupt inductee. But I'm going to go through it anyway, just in case, you know, we pick up a few new viewers in the okay. last time John was with us. John Reed is co-founder of Diginomica. Now, Diginomica was launched in 2013, and it's a media analyst property designed to serve the interest of enterprise leaders in the digital era. John, of course, has been building enterprise communities since 1995. You know, I, I was, I was, I was, you know, in high school then. No, John is a roving blogger and analyst. He also advises vendors and startups in reaching today's informed enterprise buyer. His signature weekly, Enterprise Hits and Misses, is a must-read. We're going to talk about some of the recent blogs. Uh, on hits and misses, and you can follow him. Of course, he was an early Twitter adopter at John ERP, J-O-N-E-R-P. Welcome back, John, first ballot Hall of Fame Disrupt TV inductee to Disrupt TV. Hey, everybody. Now for total shift in tone, I feel a little bad about this today because your first two guests were so kick-ass with so much substance. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, people just transforming multi-billion dollar industries wow. across the globe. And nice, nice. This is the cleanup hitter spot. You come All in right. and We're going to talk about a nice, nice fluffy topic <laughs> called the metaverse. Um, yeah. Uh, we size it at 20.7 trillion by 2030. Uh, we define it in so many different ways. It's more than yeah. the world. We're talking about DAOs. We're talking about crypto tech, Web3. We're talking can I, about Yeah, universes. can I poke some holes in that? Okay, cool. So so basically what we got here is some unreleased material. I, I like to give you guys in your audience breaking news stuff that I have not put breaking out. I've been news. I've been grappling with this for a while and I, and I had some breakthroughs this week. Um, so what I'm going to be doing today is I'm going to be uh, walking you through the enterprise version of the metaverse. And you guys, I'm sure will have some strong opinions on this. I'm going to give you four BS detector signs that you're getting sold a bill of goods. And then I'm going to give you four things that you should do now based on these trends. So I think that's a nice mix. Um, so I don't know if you recall, but the last time I was on, I, I briefly made fun of the metaverse by, by showing you these goggles. Um, <laughs> that, and I was trying to sort of make the point that the headgear and there's a cultural adoption barrier here. Um, I think what we need today more than anything, and I don't know if I can play this on your show because it, it says swears, but it's my BS button. But we, we need to have some BS detectors on this on this topic because there is some stuff here, but we need to dig into it. And, you know, one of the things about what I try to do with Diginomica is the whole point of the satire and the snark is, is to cast a little bit of doubt on some of the tech hype. But another big part of my job that's maybe not as, like, sexy and cool, but I think it's really cool is documenting real world transformation, which is why your show was so great today. I was taking notes the whole time because that's what it's all about, right? Is if we can't be inspired by what's actually being done on the ground, we, we got to leave. So, so that's what we need to do, right? Is we need to separate some of the BS from, from the stuff that's really happening. So I'm gonna start with a, a quiz and the first quiz for you guys is going to be pretty easy, I think, which is why are we talking about the metaverse here today? right now and the answer is an individual i won't give you any more hints but you got the there's a name it's a famous name that caused all of this zuck we've been zucked you got it <laughs> <laughs> found you a nice this, picture you, of you know, i mean think about the courage uh, or, or, like uh, if he wasn't the founder he couldn't brand or rebrand a platform where one in three humans on earth are using. So for him to change it to meta, like there's no other person that could have done that unless you were the principal founder with majority shareholder of that company. So yeah, I mean, just the branding exercise alone made it a top of mind for all of us. Yeah. Exactly. Here's the dual class structures and, uh, <laughs> and voting rights. <laughs> yes, you guys totally nailed that. And then of course, there's a reason why Zuckerberg brought this up. <clears throat> And then the answer to this is the company name. So why did Zucker bring it up? This is a tough one. See if you can get this. Well, sorry, the question is what? Why did Zuckerberg bring Meta up, the metaverse? Like why? Well, it's a company name. From what it's a I company understood, he's scared it, it, of. It, I, oh, interesting. 
Interesting. I didn't know it was that. I was understanding. TikTok, baby. I mean, and I'm kidding a little bit. Basically, the competitive environment uh, freaked Zuckerberg out. Um, Facebook's having regulatory issues and all this other stuff, right? He needs, as Vala put it, some shiny new toys, and he found some. Um, But the enterprise metaphors conversation is a little bit different. And one thing I want to make people aware of is that uh, Accenture uh, was a key player in bringing this around to the enterprise. And they're not the only ones. Um, but earlier, uh, a couple months ago, Accenture put out a technology vision 2022 thing that was all centered around metaverse concepts. And yeah. the um, web me programmability. Yep. You, you uh, can watch it online. Yeah. Uh, I, I find it a little bit of a shameless commercial, but um, but they do also have some very serious people working on this. So I'm going to hammer them a little bit, but also they have some people that are really bringing a lot to the table here too, in terms of how to evaluate this. And they made the bold assertion that the metaverse will transform every aspect of business. And so now we're kind of looking at the enterprise side of this and, and what enterprise decision makers should be dealing with around this. And and the reason why we need to talk about this is because there's so many things that are on decision makers' minds right now, right? Everything from cybersecurity to customer data platforms to supply chain volatility. And now you're bringing up the metaverse. And, and at first it sounds like a little bit out of left field. So we need to really understand like how should we grapple with this and one of the things i one of the reasons why i want people to have their bs detectors on is that when you really break down the architecture the metaverse stack if you will and what's needed to power these things the people selling that are going to make shitloads of money regardless of whether you ever make a dime in roi and so you really need to understand that part of it is that a lot of players in this market are going to make a lot of money on metaverse that doesn't mean that it's going to add value to your business so what we need to really do, I think, is start to think about what the definition of metaverse actually is and start to break it apart a little bit. And um, I think one thing we, we should start thinking about is, is we should start thinking about the term multiverse and we should start thinking about the fact that this, this ideal notion that we're going to have this one universal metaverse world that we all operate in, I, I think is deeply flawed. And in fact, I would point towards Ray's book. Ray, here's your book plug. <laughs> Everybody wants to rule the world. Um, and this notion of digital duopolies. And, and Ray, you spent a lot of time in the book talking about these walled gardens and dominant digital players. And I think we need to be aware that while the metaverse may look like a nice do-over to recreate everything we're doing in a more open setting, it may not happen that way. And we need to be prepared for these multiple sort of verses rather than this one place where we're going to go play and have a good time and hang out with each other's holograms. So I, I think that's something to really think about. Hey, in terms of, don't make fun of my avatar. <laughs> hey, I, I'd no, love to, but, I'd but, love but to hang John, out with the hologram. John, is this just extending the conversation? For 10 years, we've been talking about digital twins. I was at a Gartner conference yes. literally a decade ago. It was in a manufacturing setting where the discussion was around digital twins, but that leaked into just about every industry. And now, yeah. you know, layer uh, ledgers and tokenization of the internet with what we see with Web3. And of course, this explosion of NFTs in the last two years. Are we just really adding applications on top of this digital twin concept with more capabilities and now monetization right. strategies, which we see with NFTs? So is, is, is it really, is it, is it Bitcoin blockchain that's just added a sexy dimension to digital twins, which is now metaverse? Or, or what is it that's driving this fear of missing out in the enterprise when it comes to metaverse? So uh, you, you raised the crucial points. And I don't think we're going to like properly define like metaverse in this conversation because it's an ongoing thing. But it is really important to separate these things out. And one of the really interesting things is when you look at like Google Glass, for example, uh, which Google Glass was sort of discredited and supposedly abandoned in 2015. But behind the scenes, Google Glass pressed on, right? So we, as a consumer thing, it was mocked as a failure. But industrial settings, they pressed on with their enterprise edition. And they started documenting the payoffs. And other augmented reality type things started coming out. Field service. And exactly. And, and to your point, uh, Digital Twins has has surfaced as, as a pretty compelling use case. It's actually fairly mature. Yeah. One thing that, that Accenture did that I don't happen to agree with is they kind of talked about this metaverse continuum and they lumped in all these, you know, augmented reality use cases. And, I mean, I, I, I think schools little, are going to issue augmented reality glasses to everyone in the next 10 years. Well, right. Campuses are going to be virtual only in their reports. 
you know, yeah, I mean, say, and, and, they started and, this tech vision report in 2015, so it's been seven years, I think. Yeah, and they're talking about a 10 year outlook too, which yeah. is something that's important to keep in mind. Yeah, uh, kind of like yeah, yeah. you know, hammering them a little bit is they're talking about 10 years, which is yes. a, a big window. Um, yeah. but 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 like, so for example, if you talk, they use this phrase metaverse continuum, but for me it's a little bit disingenuous because I, I would prefer to kind of limit the metaverse to kind of full-fledged imaginary or virtual worlds that require specialized equipment because the other things like augmented reality, I mean, you could make the argument that, that Google Maps is AR, right? Um, and, and that kind of value add of digital value add to my day-to-day -day is going to be huge and in fact already is, right? It's already integrated into our lives. Sure. Whereas, whereas, whereas the three of us probably don't walk around with headgear all the time. But guess what? A lot of our a lot of our kids do. And I think do. that's that's where we can start to kind of anticipate yeah. the generational shifts in what this might look like going forward. And I think ultimately that's what Accenture is trying to to get at. What do you yeah. think, Ray? I have three Oculus gear in my house and uh, it's just funny <laughs> to see my kids. Um, and, and I have to tell you, a couple of the games are actually pretty good exercise. About five minutes into it, I'm, I'm, I feel like I, I've been on a Peloton for an hour. But yeah, no, it's, uh, it's uh, go ahead, Ray, your, your thoughts. You actually published a report on the metaverse economy. So you're the, you're the SME that should weigh in. <laughs> no, no, no. I was just I was trying to get a hold of like what what John thinks are some of those enterprise use cases that will take off mm. and, and some of the ones that, that make well, sense. Well, digital, digital twins for one, for sure. So, and I, 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 you know, and, and part of it is like, I mean, we, we looked at about 105 use cases and, and settled to about wow. 43 that might be useful. And, and we keep seeing more pop up. Um, but but it's also important to think about the metaverse, right? As, you know, it, it's the way we were looking at webs, you know, like websites in like the late 90s. It's the way we were looking at mobile in like, you know, mid 2000s, right? Is the way we're looking at, you know, I mean, just all these new interfaces are, are kind of another channel. Uh, but it's more than that, right? There's something deeper there. So, John, back you know, to you. When, when somebody takes their iPad and scans their dining room, living room, and then places furniture, right size, right dimension, color palette, you know, we don't think of it as metaverse. But to me, like designing, interior design is completely moving at a very fast pace to being digitally designed and you feel comfortable and you put it in the shopping cart and you buy. War, war, you know, glasses, clothing. Uh, some of the high-end retail where you can try on, you know, digital, digitally try on, you know, clothing. And again, try on glasses before. Uh, I've always had bad luck with picking glasses because when I take my glasses off and put the new ones, I can't see. So I have to rely on the judgment of the salesperson. They're like, oh, go with clear glasses. And then I bring it home and I'm like, what am I doing? So yeah, anyway. but, but, and, and, but see, like, so so I agree with that. And there's a ton of retail applications for this yeah, stuff, yeah. the way you described. Like, and, and of course, the pandemic has pushed the envelope on that because people don't want to hang out in stores as much. And then yeah. they find all these stats around, like, you know, women who try on purses are, are five times more likely to buy or five times what have you they want to see what it looks like with less returns outfits. more buys yes. but but oh. see i would make the argument that that's not the metaverse like yeah. i like there's like, more to it there's more to it, what yeah, you're yeah yeah it, it, exactly and 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 so i think when we're, if we're going to use the term metaverse like let's let's talk about what what new is being brought so to does the table VR have to be a component for you to say metaverse uh, in my opinion right now, yes. Like right. it, that's what I would hold to. And I might even push it and say it needs to be imaginary worlds rather than me hanging out with your hologram and my hologram. I, I think there's something really powerful about these uh, uh, fantastical identities that, that are created online in the gaming world. And, and look, the gaming world deserves a ton of credit for the innovation that they're pushing on this. So I'm not saying that with any disrespect, but I think to me that's really one thing about the metaverse is people making friends with other characters in, in, in scenarios that are totally different than real life. But, you know, we can argue about that all day long and I don't want to do that because I want to count down yeah. my five, my, well, okay. Four BS factors for enterprises to avoid. Okay. Uh, number one all is right. sep separate the hype. In other words, don't let people lump web 3.0, the metaverse, blockchain, cryptocurrency, and NFTs together in DAOs. These are all different concepts. Some of them do connect, but they don't necessarily have to all play together in order to evaluate. The next one is something we already touched on, which is beware the stack sale. Notice there's a dollar sign on stack there. In other words, a lot of people want to make money selling you a metaverse stack. Uh, input, output sensors, front-end software, and hardware. Just be aware that they need to provide you with ROI, not just technical equipment and upgrades. Um, also, 
Uh, number three, um, don't make your employees wear headgear. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm seeing more and more of this around like, oh, we're going to do, we're going to require you to wear oh, all this yeah. stuff to do like your HR onboarding and stuff. Come on. <laughs> like, just, just stop it with that. Like, like there will be a use case to put on headgear for. Um, now, I guess it's a little bit different if you're going to be consulting with clients around this stuff, then you do need to to drink your own Kool-Aid, yeah. but, but, you know, just, just don't force your employees to do yucky stuff and get vertigo wearing stuff they don't want to wear and things yeah. like that. Um, oh, and the final one, um, I seem to have misplaced my sign for it. It had a DeFi with a, with a line through it. Don't let decentralized finance distract you. There's a whole movement around decentralized finance and around sort of this, the decentralization of the web. I think it's a wonderful vision in some ways. The technologies are not proven Accenture has a web me concept that centers around some of this stuff. Um, you know, uh, I would call upon Accenture to provide examples of decentralized consumer control, digital economies. I don't see it. Uh, social networks where you own and control your own data haven't even nibbled at Facebook and Instagram. Um, the reason the internet is a disparate, disparate collection of sites and apps, which is kind of what Accenture says is going to get changed is because the internet is a largely commercial platform and Netflix and Dis Disney and HBO are separate companies in the real world. Mm -hmm. And I don't see how three putting on 3d goggles is going to merge those companies. So I, I would just say, be very careful about those things. Now, if we can shift you over wrote about this, right? You wrote that. Yeah, you wrote about this. I did. Believers would have us believe traditional finance institutions are set to crumble uh, no match for momentum of decentralized commerce. Now, certainly there's been a ton of VC funding that have yep. gone towards DeFi apps in the last two years. Probably the yep. hottest category in terms of VC crypto investments. And, uh, and, 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 look, the, yeah. and look, there will be some decentralized stuff and I, I welcome that. I just, I'm just saying that that's not necessarily the metaverse per se. Yeah. It could be integrated into the metaverse and we could have a totally different conversation maybe on another Disrupt TV about decentralized finance and I'm not I'm not going to knock it. I think it has some potential, but but it's a I think it's it's you got to break these concepts out because yeah. otherwise they're going to overwhelm busy decision makers and say, yeah. wait, I have to have, I have to have a crypto ledger to, to launch a metaverse environment for my customers. No, you don't. No, no. You don't always have to. But you're right. There are some bigger trends like we're going from centralization to decentralization. Yep. We're going from Web 2 to Web 3 uh, and, and we're going from 2D to 3D. Right. I mean, at, at a basic level. So, yeah, and I guess what I want to... 96, 97 web. I mean, you're just so early that you're bound to hear all these terms and you're really not going to... I mean, the adoption is going to be a decade or two. I mean, are we just talking about things? I, I guess, I guess what I want... Yeah, I guess what I want to get across... Well, I'm sorry, I just don't want to run out of my list before we run out of time. Yeah, no, um, but, um, time. but I just wanted to get across Ray's point. I think it's important. But one of my bonus things that I'll just say now is don't assume that this better future, this wonderful, better open future emerges. If you want a more open metaverse, you're going to have to fight for it. We're all going to have to fight for it. We're going to have to put our heads together and come up with creative, exciting business solutions and True. various enlightened regulatory bodies that allow this to happen and insist on in universal standards rather than walled gardens. Yeah. Otherwise we will have more digital duopolies and Ray will have to write another book. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get to your list, right? Okay, real quick. a brave browser right now. This, real this, quick. This platform doesn't support this. <laughs> real quick, AR is now. So don't worry about the metaverse necessarily now, but worry about augmented reality right now. Mm -hmm. And also, by the way, get the, get the paperwork out of your processes. None of this is going to work if we have paper-based processes. I, I, I had to buy a car like a year ago, and I was hoping it had all been changed because of the yeah, pandemic. Yeah. No, Did I you spent, do Carvana? I spent three hours yeah. at the car dealer. Oh, I didn't. You didn't order a car from a car vending machine? No, no, no. But, the, but, but it's an opportunity to buy tire but, protection, wind yeah, yeah, protection. Yeah. <laughs> the, the point is, the, yeah. So you there would are, never do that, Bala. They're all alternatives. <laughs> they're all, all are alternatives, of course. But the point is, now's the time yeah. to, to hammer out your processes and streamline those processes so that you can take them to whatever virtual worlds you want in totally. the future. Totally. The, next, the next would be apply industry criteria. I seem to have lost that one. Um, <laughs> uh, but But challenge organizations like Accenture or any other services partner to provide the use cases for your industry now, like manufacturing, digital twins, retail, try before you buy, but also unexpected things like, like urban planners can really make use of digital twin technology. Totally. For example, back to your public sector discussion that you were just having. Uh, yeah. So, so challenge for the industry examples, challenge your partners and your vendors to provide those instead of having a generic metaverse conversation, have a conversation about your industry. Um, 
based on those stricter definitions, develop a roadmap. The roadmap is how you're going to prioritize that against other initiatives and integrate that into your ongoing transformations, in particular around things like data platforms. If you don't have a consolidated customer data platform, how are you going to serve customers in these imaginary worlds? So there's a lot of work you can be doing that's going to play very nicely to the metaverse concepts we've discussed that needs to get done. So let's get that done now. And I think I might have one final one. Oh, yeah. Just uh, just a shout out to the gamers and the young people. Don't miss yes. out on on what they're up to. They're giving us a look into the future. Uh, that's a, that's a profound change. And they deserve a lot of respect, even though we haven't embraced all those technologies and put on headgear for this show. That doesn't mean that what they're doing isn't profoundly important and worth worth understanding. So hire them, hire them, hire them. Get in this. Honestly, I mean, companies like mine, I mean, just look yeah. for the gamers and bring them on board. Well, uh, and, and, and and the monetization schemes that are, to raise point, that are emerging from these platforms are definitely different than, than, in, than classic monetization. And it's really important to understand how that works, because I do think that's going to spread more to the, to the clunky enterprise over time, right? So anyway, we're out of time. Ray, I'm doing my uh, media guest ranking of all time out of the 900 interviews we've done, and John Reed is number one. Number Forget one. about first ballot Hall of Fame. I don't know what's beyond Hall of Fame, but he's I don't prime know. ballot. He's prime ballot. He's, he, I, 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 you better have your own podcast. You like you, you, you were born hey, to I, do this. You're hey, really thanks, brother. I got a video show you. later today on uh, on why aren't services partners up. Uh, playing a key role in transformation efforts. You know, someday maybe an Ray and I can be guests on your show. I don't yeah, know. I don't know. Maybe we're not. What are we going to do, Ray? Never invited us, actually. You know, it, don't, don't rule it out, man. But my, my show's a little more underground than yours. So that's that, that's why kind of, the invites roll out a little bit slowly as a result okay. of that. But. We're here with John Reed, co-founder of Digital and a metaverse expert himself. <laughs> the best. He is. Uh, don't let him kid you. Yeah, don't let him kid you. This is his real self, not his avatar. We're, we're good. <laughs> John, great talking to you. Thank Happy you, Friday. Absolutely. Say hi to your holograms for me. I'll catch you. <laughs> Go Celtics. I know he's a big time Boston sports fan too. And, uh, and he's one of the smartest. You know what I love about him? Just like Casey mentioned, all the specific use cases, uh, like homeless veterans and, and, and really inspiring, meaningful use cases. John, when I see him at conferences, when he's interviewing business leaders, experts, He's always trying to get to, like you said, maybe fresh principles. Use case. Give me a use case. Give me an ROI. Give me something tangible that shows value. And, uh, and that's what makes his work so special. He really brings things to practical application of technology and processes and mindset to really add value to stakeholders. Ray, a recap of I know, Anil, Casey, and John. Like three extraordinary big brain. <laughs> I'll practitioners and leaders uh, i'll do it really class. quick um but yeah i mean we're, we are definitely seeing a big shift in terms of getting skills and getting to the right technologies um, it's so interesting watching our bt150 alumni uh, especially anil uh, as he's played so many different roles from investor to um you know system integrator to you know practitioner cio uh, in these roles but it's so important especially to have people that have done that um, having that perspective really changes the way you look at transformation. And I think his perspectives as well as Casey's as well, being a practitioner herself, um, I mean, really, really informs the people that she serves. Uh, and, and so in, in each of these cases, I think it's really coming back to like, do you really know what the business is? Do you really understand um, what the problems are to transform it? And do you really understand what culture is required? What change is, is needed uh, to deliver on that? Um, and then, of course, you know, John, John's conversations about the metaverse, I think it's really going to be one of the biggest transformations we have, right? I mean, just understanding what, what is the work policy as we go from a physical to a digital world, yeah. right? That's just going to blow people's minds, right? And, and even then, right, what does that mean, right? For work, for commerce, for employee experience, for commerce, we're going to see all these different types of use cases come back to play. But hey, who do we have for episode 279? Uh, next next week, episode 279, we have Rhonda Vateri, who's been on the show before, an extraordinary author, entrepreneur, board member, extraordinary storyteller. We have Jamie Merritt, Chief Product Officer at Verant, will be on the show. And we have Ari Kwame, Founder and Managing Partner in Mindful Venture Capital. So lots of um, a theme around entrepreneurship uh, and, and, and investments in the future. 
That'll be episode 279. If it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. Thank you for watching. Please continue to recommend guests to Ray and I. We're booked a couple of months in advance, but you still have plenty of time this year to bring your favorite entrepreneur, thought leader, business executive on Disrupt TV. Thank you so much for watching. See you next Friday. Bye, everyone, and see you guys in the green room.